Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Today I have a very special guest with me, the amazing Carrie Mitchell of CarrieMitchellHealing.com and Healing Invisible Illness. A couple weeks ago, she asked the million-dollar question, and she dropped a total bomb on me when she said, so Jen, how do you deal with that unnameable dread and that feeling of fear that you've been carrying around for your entire life. And so we did some tapping on it. And amazingly, Carrie was just saying that things have shifted. So Carrie, tell me, so, so how has it rippled out since we did this work? Wow, that's, um, thank you for asking, Jen. It's so interesting because what your work with tapping, the way you use this tool and and the way this tool can be used, it chips away at these these massive distresses and fears and all these really, really big issues that have control over us. It chips away at them to such a degree that afterward, you kind of forget it was there. It's like, oh, yeah, right. It was that thing. So that is a lot of what has happened for me in the last couple of weeks. It was this sense of, I don't even know how to feel safe. I have felt unsafe as long as I can remember from the teensiest age. And and the, my reality was not an unsafe reality. I was really actually pretty sheltered. Um, I was living in a very safe world and yet my body, my sensations, I didn't feel okay. I didn't feel like things were going to be all right. There was an imminent sense of dread and and disaster happening. And so we did tapping, which was, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, maybe. And maybe 15 tops. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been reflecting on that, kind of trying to find that sense again of feeling unsafe. And it's like it got erased to a large degree. Mm. It's, it's amazing to me and always is that it's like um, when you've re- erased the chalkboard and you can still see the shadow of the letters on the board, that's what this feels like right now. I can remember the sense of feeling unsafe. I can find it when I really t- like dig into a particular issue, something that was heavily triggering to me, has been heavily triggering, but it is not something that is sitting like a half inch behind my shoulder blades, the way it has felt for a really long time. Which is so incredibly amazing. And yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, you talk about this aspect of having an issue that is so pervasive and so strong and that it's been in many ways like debilitating and impacting our entire life. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you do this thing (laughs) that takes 15 (laughs) minutes and everything shifts. And there is a term for that in, um, 
there's a term for that in EFT that's called the apex effect, where, although this is sort of an aspect of it, where something shifts so profoundly and completely, we almost forget how serious or intense it really was. And yeah. I've had that experience myself where I was taking a class actually on flower essences many years ago. And I remember them talking about a specific essence. And I thought, oh yeah, I took that essence like years ago. And they were talking about the patterns of imbalance that you would use it for. And I suddenly realized that this thing that had been a major issue for me, which was deep, intense, existential loneliness and mm -hmm. social anxiety had cleared so profoundly and so deeply that it was like, I was just like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Right. And it's such a remarkable experience, I think, especially for those of us who are highly sensitive and empathic, to imagine that we could actually feel better. Because, this, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, because I think we're so accustomed to not only feeling our own distress, but feeling everybody else's distress all the time, that the idea that we could feel safe, the idea that we could be relaxed, that the, the idea that we could actually come to sort of a, a still point and come back to like a zero balance within our body is an, almost inconceivable until it actually happens. Yes. And a lot of times it takes someone else pointing out that this doesn't have to be this way for it to like filter down into your consciousness of, oh my God, I, I could live in a way that was different. Like other people, I do this to myself sometimes, other people don't feel that way. What on earth can that be like? Because it is so much the water I've been swimming in my entire life. I have no concept and no grasping of what it, that it could be different or how. And so with the way you do EFT, and I swear I have known almost nobody who does it the way you do as effectively and profoundly as you do, that these pieces just get erased and I get to be like, like a different person. Mm. I am different in ways that I didn't even think were possible before. Um, and yeah, sometimes it takes hearing from somebody else that this doesn't have to continue, that there is another way to live when we are so impacted and so sensitive to the craziness in the world. The cra and I also want to, you just made me think of something really that, that is a really interesting concept for me, which is the idea that other people don't have to live this way or other people don't live this way. Because right. as empaths, I think so often we are so immersed in the fear soup and we are mm -hmm. so completely swimming in the crazy chaos that a lot of times I think we actually think that this is the way the world is. And mm -hmm. it's almost inconceivable that there are people who are able to live in a state of grace and a state of ease and a state of relaxation. So even opening that up that possibility that mm -hmm. it is possible to be in a place of ease is like earth shattering and radical for those of us it who is. are this sensitive. It is. Yeah. And I have to be honest, 
My first response, my like my gut response to hearing that there are people who live in a way that's different like this and they don't have this kind of pain is anger. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed mm-hmm. that other people don't have to live this bullshit. Yeah, that it's not, and it's not fair. Dread. Or it's, it's like not fair, or, and I get angry about it. You know, it reminds me of the meme that basically says, um, "If you're not angry, you're not paying attention." <laughs> Right. Uh-huh. You know, just sort of that idea of you should be distressed. And yeah. yet I I sincerely believe that as long as we stay in this tape loop of distress, mm-hmm. we are not going to be able to navigate our way out of this situation. That yeah. in order for us to be able to transform the world we are living in, we must find our way back to calmness. We must find our way back to ease, even though things are dire. That and, right. and I think that's one thing that comes up for people is this idea that somehow if I'm calm, I am not acknowledging how serious things are. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a, <laughs> For those of us who are helpers, who <laughs> I know nothing who, about that, nothing right. For who yeah. who feel the ability and the challenge and the gift of being able to help others feel better and and to actually impact the way someone else lives, letting go of the this is not right feels like a cop out. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're cheating, like you're not doing your job. It gets so wrapped up and complicated to actually consider, like wrap your head and your heart around feeling okay. Like it's okay to feel okay. That's not always easy when you're deep in the mess of the empathic helper type that we are. Exactly. And I think that there is, there are so many contracts of loyalty to suffering and these contracts go back for generations. I really believe that we inherit these legacies of fear. We inherit these legacies of it's not fair for me to not suffer since so many other people are suffering. I mean, and just even the whole thing of every single mom that ever said something like there are starving children in Ethiopia eat your peas. Right. You know that there are so many messages that are essentially saying to us because somebody else is having a hard time, it's not fair that we don't. And yet the way we're going to back out of this big m- mucky gunk is certainly not by backing further in or diving, driving further into it and trying and letting ourselves sink in the quicksand, right. you know, and, and I think, but that willingness to open, be open to the possibility that loyalty to suffering is no longer serving us is huge. Yeah. 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 You you know, I was thinking timeline wise about when you came to me with this question. And I was thinking about all of the different ways that unnameable fear and dread shows up for us and how sometimes it's we are born with it. We are bringing it in from another lifetime. Sometimes we're carrying it in our ancestral DNA and we are carrying, you know, years and years and years or generations of coping and fear in our 
in our cellular memories to protect us and keep us safe. Sometimes we're carrying it from an, an in utero experience because our mother was a high strung hot mess. Right. And then other times we are picking it up from things that are going on in the world around us. And I was thinking timeline wise, how interesting it was that if I do the math, I'm pretty sure you called in either you called in either two weeks or three weeks prior to the shooting in New Zealand. Right. And mm -hmm. that kind of event, in my experience, is another thing that really rocks empaths' world or, yeah. or worlds. That yeah. what I, and I was teaching a class earlier today where I was saying to my students that once we have developed some empathic mastery, we have the ability to protect ourselves from sort of the norm, the things that we're generally accustomed to. But mm -hmm. when something is so huge and so monumental, a lot of times those things still break through and impact us. So right. I was thinking, I wonder even how much of your calling in with that topic had to do with the fact that something so significant and so huge was coming down the pike. Right. Yes. And of course, I don't have any answer for that, but I have seen it again and again, where even empaths who have really managed to set some solid and clear boundaries and, and really be strong within themselves get knocked pretty hard with um, cultural tragedies. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and I know that I started to experience about 10 days prior to the event, I started to feel it. And I started to feel deeply distressed. I started to feel a lot of anxiousness. I started to feel this sense of like dread in my gut. And it took me a couple days to realize this is not my stuff because yeah. my natural response is almost always when I feel this way to think, what am I doing? What's going on inside of me? Why am I feeling yeah. this way? Right. And it's only after I start to do the sort of self-evaluation and recognize work where I go, wait a second, there's nothing going on in my life that pertains to this. There is no reason I should be feeling this level of distress and this level right. of anxiousness. And it was when I articulated this and actually made a couple of phone calls and checked in with a number of my, my clients and students and everybody was like, oh yeah, I'm feeling it too, that I suddenly was able to go, oh, I'm picking up on something that is coming down the pike. And so by the time the event actually happened, I was much more prepared and centered and grounded for it. But it's, wow. it's such mm -hmm. an interesting process to recognize the way that fear impacts us as empaths and how sometimes it can, at least for me, it can still hit me between the eyes at least for a moment before I sort of find my way back. And yeah. what I've personally discovered is that you know, that old Fisher-Price commercials for Weebles? I don't know if they were around when you were a little kid. I don't no. know if I know Okay, this. so Weebles were these <laughs> tiny little plastic dolls that were shaped like eggs that were weighted on the bottom. And so the entire commercial was Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Because <laughs> they you could put them, you could stand them up, and they would rock, but they would never fall down. And... I really like to think of the key to empathic, part of the key to empathic mastery is the idea that we can wobble, but we won't fall down. And I love, yeah. 
I just want to interrupt for a second. I love that you are saying this because like I said, I know you to be incredibly well-bounded, incredibly solid and centered. You know your stuff. You have done this for decades and still it takes a process sometimes for you to get through, to notice what's happening, to recognize this is not your own and to find your way back to center. So any of us, I mean, for me, to hear that from you tells us that any of us are going to have to set up our own system for this, or we might fall down. Exactly. In, in order to not fall down, we are all going to have to set up something that works for us. And to not be so rigid, to not be so brittle. And that's one of the problems with fear, is that fear has a tendency to make us contract. Fear has a tendency to make us solidify and tighten up and tense up. And when we get into those places of intense tension and stress, we are far less resilient than when we are relaxed. And so you know, we are much more likely to crack. We are much more likely to, to be shattered by an experience when we are brittle, when we are, when we are clenching than when we are able to stay grounded and relaxed and calm. But right. <laughs> when things are really intense, a lot of times we have to recognize, oh, I'm starting to clench up. Oh, I'm starting to feel this intensity. I need to let myself relax again. I need right. to allow myself to find my way back to flow as opposed mm -hmm. to that girding my loins and bracing myself for the worst. Yeah. And I think that's actually the state, the, like the moment I was in when I brought that up in our, in, on your radio show mm -hmm. for the last time where a lot of the time I'm kind of in that relaxed and flow and I can take my punches as they come, but I was getting kind of that tension and the tightness around it and, and not knowing where it was coming from feeling this like, ah, oh, nothing in my life is unsafe. And yet I'm kind of freaking out here. And that 15 minutes of tapping, naming it, saying it out loud, working through just some of the edges of really a pretty complex onion, mm -hmm. just peeling away the, the edges of that thing allowed me to soften and come back to this kind of more roll with it yes. state. Yes. So yeah, the, the EFT is for me one of those tools that can help me offload the crazy as it starts to hit, even when I don't know what it is. Absolutely. I mean, for me, it is, it is continues to be my favorite go-to tool because yeah. I find it to be effective for practically anything. And for yeah. any of you who are listening to this show and you're wondering what the hell is EFT and what are they talking about? <laughs> EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques. It is also known as tapping and it is a form of mental emotional emotional acupuncture or acupressure, where what you do is you think about whatever it is that's causing distress and then put gentle pressure or tapping on certain 
end points of meridians or acupuncture points on the hands, the face and head and the torso. And basically by doing this, it has this amazing way of rebooting our system. And it allows our bodies to reset our fight or flight mechanism, which is called the amygdala, if you are one of those sciencey people. And it gives us the opportunity to reset. And what I can say is that for some of us, it, the, we may have never, ever been reset in this lifetime. Yeah. I know I came into this life in a state of fear. I was born, I, my birth was a traumatic birth. I was born with two placentas and I was, I, and as I came out, my mother started to hemorrhage. And so I was pulled away from my mom and my mom was basically at the gates of death. So I was born with my great grandmother who was long passed over waiting to, you know, there with my mom saying, Hey there and saying hello to me. So in a way I kind of came in through the outdoor and you know, you, which you and I have talked about before, right? but I also came in with a state of having picked up the incredible shock of every single medical professional in that room, not to mention my mother's experience and also having been in utero with a mom who was a fairly high strung person. I mean, I would not say that my mother necessarily, uh, uh, ever really learned how to calm herself down. So, and I came in also bringing not only, um, experiences from being in utero with my mom's fear and picking up on her anxiety and tension, plus a traumatic birth experience. I also was carrying the ancestral DNA of survivors of the potato famine in Ireland and all kinds of other events that go back down the ancestral line, plus past life memories about being burned at the stake. So when I walked into this life, I was a hot mess and I did not know what it felt like to be calm and relaxed until I was, until I actually had the experience of tapping and releasing a car accident. Oh. Yeah. Which was mm -hmm. just incredible for me. Wow. And I am imagining, having talked with you about things, that, you know, in many ways you have a very similar story in terms of coming into this life feeling nothing but fear. Yeah. What's interesting is my, I don't have the birth story traumas. And I think of my mom as um, not as much of a hot mess, though certainly in under a lot of strain when I was teeny. So for me, it's a lot of disembodied fear. It's mm. fear that I don't know the sources of. Like there's, there's no data that tells me why this fear lives in me the way it does. I, I haven't tracked it down. Um, you and I have done some karmic work and we've seen some pieces and I've definitely felt flames on my skin, that kind of, that kind of karmic memory. But a lot of it for me is that, I don't know where it comes from. It's just there. Absolutely. And in a way that is more crazy making, that is even yeah. more intense because it's so unnameable. It's so undefinable. Uh, and then you've got an entire sort of 
family or social circle of muggles around you who are all telling you, why are you upset? What is your problem? Right. What is going on? There is nothing wrong here. Everything is okay. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you, you feel the same way. I mean, I know I'm not the only person who's like, I, I, there must, I must be crazy. Right. Like I have to ignore these feelings because there's no rational reason for them to exist. There must be something wrong with me that these don't go away. So I have to suppress them or get over them. And that's the, what I believe that's the opposite of what we actually need to do in order to live in our center. Yeah. I agree with you so completely and wholeheartedly. That is just, that is, that'd be the true, true. It, yeah. it is just so true. You know, I want to throw something out there that I recently, I've been listening to Denise Duffield Thomas's book, Chillpreneur, which is mm -hmm. a fantastic book if you have yeah. not encountered it. And one of the things that it suggests sort of, you know, in a nutshell is the idea that what if we ran our businesses from a place of ease and relaxation and, and joy as opposed to just constantly struggling and hustling? And I was thinking, you know, things grow better in a stress-free environment. We mm -hmm. don't, nothing thrives in stress. And mm -hmm. yet we continuously try to run <laughs> businesses from a place of stress. Totally. So, I've just been really appreciating Denise's message, but in the beginning of the book, she talks about, um, for so many women, the fear of visibility coming up, and she speaks about the witch wound, and she mentions Lisa Lister in her book, Witch, speaks about this, but there's a number of, I don't, you know, I started doing some research to see if I could find the origin of the word, like who coined the term, and it seems almost like one of those mushrooms that just popped up at the same time, wow. and so people are starting starting to talk about this thing that you and I have certainly talked about a lot totally. over the years, that is mm -hmm. the witch wound. And this piece of what it is like to come in with the fear, what it is yeah. like to come in with this sense of nameless dread, and to be able to look at our life and look at everything that appears to be fine, and yet go, you know, and yet every single time we start stepping out into taking risks with visibility, putting ourselves out into the world, anything that's about allowing ourselves to thrive, then the, we pull the emergency brake because of the witch wound. And I've been aware of the witch wound since I was a tiny little thing, but I had never heard that term until about a month and a half ago. And I went, that, that, that. is the word. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, ding, yeah. ding, ding. Chills all over my body. Yeah. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow, I love that that has a name. <laughs> I know, I know. And that so many, and, and, and part of why I mention it too, is that it has a name because so many of us have experienced it. Mm -hmm. You know, and statistically, there is like some people say that something upwards of, you know, 3 million women and children, men, you know, women, children, and some men were burned, were killed in, during the time of the Inquisition and during the burning times. Other people say that that's an overestimate and we're talking more like in the hundreds of thousands, but still, mm. 
Many mm -hmm. people in the population experience that, which means that there is an incredibly large number of souls that have endured that. And right. I don't, and their descendants. And descendants. It's in our yeah. ancestral line. And right. I have one client who I absolutely, who is just one of, uh, I, I adore her. And she knows who she is. <laughs> so, hey there, honey. Um, and she has not one, but two. She does a lot of work with her ancestry. She has one, not one, but not, or she has two ancestors who have been basically persecuted as witches, one in the United States and one in Scotland. And so... You know, most of us have that in our lines, but we also often carry it karmically. And there's that meme that basically says we are the daughters of the witches who survived. And my answer to that is we are the witches you burned and we remember. <laughs> and we remember. And we yeah. remember. And That's things cool. are going to change this time because this is... This, this ain't, you know, this is not a dress rehearsal. Things are getting mighty serious and the, and whether you want to admit it or not, mm -hmm. being embodied on this planet means that you need fresh air and clean oxygen and for this planet to be healthy and safe. And that's yeah. true for all of us. Yeah. And I think it's important to also recognize that the times are different. Yes. We, we may be the witches they burned then, but witches don't get burned these mm -hmm. days. Like it, that, for those of us with this fear, who can still feel the flames on our skin, who can feel the hanging, to recognize and actually even go into a meditation of they don't actually burn witches anymore. Like this is not going to happen this time. I, when I st first started in and feeling this particular witch wound, which love the phrasing, I had to walk myself through that with baby steps. They don't do that anymore. I'm tapping my head off. They don't do that anymore. Witches don't get burned anymore. That period is over. Right. Right. And that's, that's a pretty big step to take when you first start feeling this. that is a huge step and one of the things that is so interesting about the human psyche and the way we respond to fear is that human beings are wired to respond to fear in a way that gets us out of trouble we are wired to first respond with a fight-or-flight mechanism and we cannot distinguish between a nasty troll on Facebook and, and an entire village of people coming after us with pitchforks and torches. And so the challenge is that the way we experience that fear is almost identical, whether it is that we get a nasty email or we are back in another life going through this. And so one of the things that I found was that the key is the key has been to dissipate the fear because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. The rational mind can is, is going to say, yeah, you're just looking at a nasty email, but the body still goes into that fight or flight response. And so in my right. experience, dissipating the fear is such an essential part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And what I will also say in my personal experience is that, and this is going to be pretty woo, but I figure for anybody who's listening to the Empathic Mastery Show, as all chances are, you guys are pretty woo already. But what I have personally found is that 
what has been brought me the most profound relief has been tapping through the memories of coming up to that point where the flames are burning my skin. And instead of just saying it doesn't happen this way anymore, recognizing that I'm still here, that I have the capacity to remember something that happened that was really ghastly, and yet I am remembering it from a place of survival and that there is a point at which we surrender and cross over into the light and remembering what I believe to be our eternal truth, which is that we are aspects of the divine immortal, that we are cells in the body of God and that we are continuously, energy cannot be destroyed, it can only be transformed. And so we, we embody these bodies and yet, and then we recycle again and again and again. And being able to come to that fundamental truth is the other thing that has brought me such incredible relief. Because as long as I personally stay stuck in the, um, in the awareness or the truth of the fact that this body will die, because there is truth to that. I will be in the place of the fear of this body's survival. When I can remember that there is something even greater than that, then I have the capacity to relax into this body and enjoy the ride for as long as it goes. Wow. I, I have never heard anyone talk about... Um, relief finding relief from that fear through surrender and recognition that i am i whatever the i is i am still here that that's a pretty that's a radical idea that's an amazing idea um do you think it would be helpful to do a tapping routine on that we could. Um, yeah. I guess I would say to anybody who's operating heavy machinery, please don't tap along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. And maybe you want to do it on a different radio show. But this idea of finding relief from that fear through acknowledging and finding in our body the reality of I, I didn't live, but I persevered. Mm -hmm. I, I continue mm -hmm. to exist. And, and in my experience, there is, so I've, I have personally tapped on and tapped through a number of memories of coming to the moment of death. Mm -hmm. And what I have come up against is the point of resistance, the point of yeah. fighting for survival and fighting, fighting to not surrender. And right. then the point of grace where okay. the ancestors show up, where the divine source shows up, where the angels appear. And suddenly I realize I have a choice that I can either cross over with grace or I can stay stuck and suffer. Okay. And there is a point of surrender that I have come to in these memories where mm -hmm. it is the remembering what it feels like to completely surrender to God. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is where the power lies. Right. Yeah. I can, as you say this, and I would love to know if anybody else listening is having the experience I am, 
but as you say this, I can I can see time periods where I did both mm-hmm. time periods mm-hmm. where I was able to feel the sweetness and and the yeah the angels and the ancestors coming and surrender and times where I fought till the end I fought in pain and misery to the end and <laughs> to a lesser degree I do both in my daily life now exactly yeah. yeah because we're feel so human we are I can feel both of those things from past experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So real. And one of the things I also experienced, because I did this one life where I was back in prehistoric times. I was like, I was like, um, I was a cave woman. I wasn't even, I was like, I was a primate. Like I wasn't even fully human. I wasn't even Neanderthal. I was like, I was like this apey, apey woman with babies. And I was in our cave and there was some kind of an event where there was an avalanche and rocks covered and closed the cave. I was so terrified that I was going to perish, that all I could remember was this experience. It was only after I tapped down the fear and calmed myself down that the next piece of the memory came along. And I actually discovered that they got me out of the cave because they, you know, my tribe who had been out of the cave came back and removed the rocks. Wow. And what I realized is that the other piece of this is that so frequently when we have a very intense event happen in our lives, we freeze at the moment of intensity and we don't even realize that we survived it and that we got to the other side and that everything continued beyond it. And what I've noticed is that this happens so frequently for people with so many different things. How many times have we had an experience that we then identify as the seminal event in our life that defines the rest of it? And yet we, it's almost like we cease to recognize that we're still okay and on the other side of it because we're carrying that intensity around in us. Yeah. And I can be honest and say that 10 years of chronic Lyme disease, I, part of me is stuck. Mm -hmm. Part of me still lives in the trauma of debilitation. And even though I've been healthy for something like six years, there is part of me that is still stuck in that moment and that time loop that is so awful of chronic debilitation. And so, again, I can see how not only is that something that we can get stuck in karmically, but it can happen to greater and lesser degrees throughout the current life that we're living. Absolutely. And it, it narrows it narrows our ability to express and to live fully. It absolutely narrows our ability to express and live. And um, instead of necessarily going back into the moment of death, just because I think that's a little bit heavier than what I want to subject <laughs> my, my, my radio audience to right now. <laughs> um, I'm actually thinking, what do we, what if you and I do a little bit of work on this sort of frozen, you know, sort of like frozen in amber moment for you absolutely. where you are recognizing how being on the couch or as you refer to it, you're, you're, 
10 lost years, you know, just that impact of that, lo- that period of time and the way that it is still holding on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It's um, anybody who's been through something traumatic and who has come through a chronic illness has moments of not trusting their body again. Mm-mm. And will it, I may feel great, but any second now I could go down. Right. The other shoe could drop. Totally. Yep. yep. Totally. It came at me unaware the very first time. It could happen any moment. And maybe I'm still back there mm-hmm. and I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this yeah, is. Yeah, I've seen maybe, this in my clients. Maybe this is just a, one of those weird movies where I'm really dreaming right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and with chronic illness, it's you have moments of feeling a little bit better and then getting slammed by something seemingly inconsequential. And it's a loop that you get stuck in for years. So yeah, the mind is like, well, screw that. I, I'm, I'm not going to trust. Exactly. Well, and I'm just thinking that, you know, the paradox of it is that the only way that we ultimately recover is having the willingness to be willing to trust and the willingness to suspend disbelief and to be open to the possibility that a miracle can happen, even though we've been through 16 million different attempts before, that somehow this next attempt or this next try is going to be different. You know, and I saw, I was watching this, this program the other day on, um, on, uh, HBO about, about this, uh, lab and this blood test thing. Not that that matters at all, but she posted, there was a quote on it from Einstein. I'm not Einstein, Edison, Thomas Edison. So I don't know if you can see this, but it's like our greatest weakness lies in giving up the most certain way to success is always to just to try just one more time. Thomas Edison. So I'll repeat, read that again. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to just is, is always to try just one more time. Thomas Edison. And that to me is really what we're talking about is that willingness to try just one more time. Yeah. So what would you think about us doing a little bit of tapping as we sort of, you know, come to the top of the hour? Yeah. Fabulous. So I'm imagining that we're talking about the fact that in many ways, there's two parts. There's the part that's like, I'm okay. And then there's the other part that's like the other shoe could drop in any minute. Yes. And the, right. The lack of ability to trust the, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To settle in and feel safe in being okay, because maybe I need to brace because it could all go down again tomorrow. And I'm going to throw out a possibility for a reframe here, Uh which is no matter, instead of I need to brace because something could go wrong, no matter what, I choose to stay relaxed because Mm. (laughs) if I am relaxed, I can handle whatever comes that I love Yeah, that like letting the body know what happens when you stay relaxed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even though, so even though there's a part of me 
there's a part of me that totally trusts that totally trusts that I'm okay that I'm okay that I'm on the other side of this that I am on the other side of this and I figured this out and I figured this out but there's this other part of me but there's this other part of me that is waiting for the other shoe to drop that is waiting for the other shoe to drop that is sure that is sure that it's just a matter of time that it's just a matter of time to set off some kind of a cascade to set off some kind of a cascade that's just going to send me reeling that's just going to send me reeling i'm open to the possibility i'm open to the possibility that no matter what that no matter what i can choose to stay calm i can choose to stay calm i can let my body relax i can let my body relax because i will handle anything because i will handle anything more effectively more effectively by staying calm by staying calm than by bracing myself than by bracing myself so i might as well just surrender <sighs> so i might as well just surrender <laughs> so even though so even though there is this part of me there is this part of me that totally trusts that totally trusts that has witnessed a miracle that has witnessed a miracle and i'm okay and i am okay and i really know it and i really know it but there's this other part of me <laughs> there's this other part of me that's waiting for the other shoe to drop that's waiting for the other shoe to drop completely convinced completely convinced that all it's going to take that all it's going to take is what is some simple inconsequential stupid thing that i couldn't even know i was doing at the time <laughs> yeah and that part of me and that part of me is on guard is on guard and wants to brace herself and really wants to brace herself to be prepared to be prepared but i'm open to the possibility that i'm open to the possibility that if i allow myself to stay relaxed that if i allow myself to stay relaxed and if i approach this with calmness and if i approach this with calmness i can handle whatever comes i can handle whatever comes more effectively more effectively so i might as well surrender <laughs> so i might as well surrender <laughs> it's not my favorite thing in the world i know but i also know you well enough that i could throw that out there yes. <laughs> cuz this is Working. not your first rodeo it is not yeah <laughs> so even though No. There is this part of me. There is this part of me that completely trusts. Completely trusts that I'm okay. That I am okay. That I have an immortal soul. I have an immortal soul that is fine beyond space and time. It's fine beyond space and time. <laughs> and I carry the wisdom. Carry the wisdom of my ancestors. My ancestors and of my DNA. by DNA and of all of my my karma and of all of my karma and all of the lives i have lived and yet to live and of all the lives i've lived and have yet to live and i'm okay and i'm okay and yet there's that other part of me and yet there's that other part of me that's waiting for the shoe other shoe to drop that's waiting for the other shoe to drop and feels like there was something right about being sick. Mm, and feels like there was something right about being sick. 
Okay, so with that piece of information, I'm going to uh -huh. honor the part of me. I'm going to honor the part of me. That felt like it was right to be sick. That felt like it was right to be sick. It served me in some ways. It served me in some ways. There were things that I did get from it. There were things that I did get from it. And maybe that's just okay. And maybe that's just okay. Maybe I can just let it be what it is. Maybe I can just let it be what it is. And I am open to the possibility. And I am open to the possibility. That at this point. That at this point. No matter what comes down the pike. No matter what comes down the pike. It's safer for me to relax. It's safer for me to relax. And be open to what comes next. And be open to what comes next. Then to try to brace myself. Then to try to brace myself. Yeah. Yeah. I choose surrender. I choose surrender. To divine will. To divine will. Because beyond time and space. Because beyond time and space. It's all good. It's all good. And I am okay. And I am okay. The part of me that knows it's all good. The part of me that knows it's all good. The part of me that waits for another shoe to drop. The part of me that waits for the other shoe to drop. Side of the eyes. The part of me that really is grounded in this health. The part of me that really is grounded in this health. Under the eyes. The part of me that is afraid it's just going to take one random thing. And the part of me that's afraid it's just going to take one random thing. Under the nose. The part of me that wants to brace herself. The part of me that wants to brace herself. Under the lip. The part of me that wants to stay relaxed. The part of me that wants to stay relaxed. Collarbone. The part of me that really acknowledges how right it was. The part of me that really acknowledges how right it was. I don't know about you, but... And, and the part of me that's a little uncomfortable to admit how right it was. And the part of me, definitely, that is a little uncomfortable to acknowledge that it might have been right. Yeah. 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 Just acknowledging it all. Just acknowledging it all. The part of me that trusts. <sighs> the part of me that trusts. The part of me that fears. The part of me that fears. The part of me that trusts. The part of me that trusts. Sides of the eyes, the part of me that fears. The part of me that fears. Under the eyes, the part of me that trusts. The part of me that trusts. Under the nose, the part of me that fears. The part of me that fears. Under the lip, the part of me that just recognizes what? The part of me that recognizes that this is all part of the process. That this is all part of the process. And would it fit to say, and beyond space and time. And beyond space and time. I'm really okay. I'm really okay. I am really okay. I am really okay. I am really okay. I am really okay. Does it work to say, I choose divine surrender? I want to first acknowledge that even in this body here and now, I'm really okay. Even in this body here and now. Even in this body here and now. I'm really okay. 
I'm really okay. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Under the lip. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Collarbone. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Under the arm. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Top of the head. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Eyebrows. It is safe for me to relax. It is safe for me to relax. Side of the eyes. Even in this body. Even in this body. Totally okay. I am totally okay. Under the eyes and beyond time and space. And beyond time and space. Under the nose, I am really okay. I am really okay. Under the lip, and so I choose. And so I choose. To sur divine surrender. Divine surrender. I might as well. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's okay to actively choose divine surrender. It is okay to actively choose divine surrender. And I'm okay. And I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've taken a deep breath. <sighs> so much energy moving. Oh, so many yawns. So good. Yeah, so many yes. yawns. Yeah. Which is always a sign of transformation and shift. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. we just spent probably nine minutes tapping. Wow. Not even maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and just feeling the shift in me from like surrender being a laughability, like <laughs> yeah, right, to no, it's a it's it's okay to 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 step in, to, like to make the choice to surrender, not to be forced to surrender. There's a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference. Yeah, yeah, and I surrender is one of my favorite words. I actually have it tattooed on my leg, and. Um, one time we were dry. I was in the middle of driving to an event and it was a very bad snowstorm and we were on, on I-90 heading out in Massachusetts and the road just, it sucked. You know, it was like the driver was having to reach around the wind to the windshield and take Ugh. the windshield wipers and thwack them against the, no. against this windshield because the ice that. was building up so badly. And Cheap Trick's song Surrender came on. And I just remember like how much relief there was to just hear this song of just surrender, 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 that yeah. it is always the key to everything is surrender. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It was mm. so good. So that's pretty much all the time we've got today. Carrie, thank you so much yeah. for being part of this. It was such an incredible conversation. I am so thrilled that we got to have this conversation and couldn't have done it without you. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And I actually know that I am going to feel different about this after nine minutes of tapping. I mean, literally, take the chance, send in your questions. So much can change in a short period of time. Life can be different. Life can be different. Thank you. Okay, so that's pretty much it. Thank you, Jen. Oh, thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. 
Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.